I, I thought I was going to be ending this series a couple of sermons ago, and about three weeks ago, I had one little sentence, and then I had my concluding sermon, and the sentence was, the three essential loves of your life. And uh, on the Saturday morning, I looked at that sentence, I was doing final preparation just before I came to the morning prayer meeting, and God started downloading information, and it's extended the series by at least three additional sermons. I came to church that Sunday morning thinking I'd be able to preach all three essential loves in one uh, service, and... Uh, there's absolutely no way that was possible. And so we did the first one. And uh, I said this here, the three essential loves of your life are absolutely necessary for building a balanced, successful, and healthy life. These are things that I've said in the past. Without these three loves, you will never be whole, complete. The movie, Jerry Maguire, she said, you complete me. I want to tell you, no one can complete you if you're not complete within yourself. And the only way to become complete within yourself is to get immersed in the complete love of God and understand how much he loves you. There is healing in the love of God. And we need that. We really do. Without these three loves, you will never be whole and you will never be satisfied. We look to people to love us so that we can be satisfied. And then we wonder why we end up in so many dissatisfied relationships. Relationships that don't meet our needs. We're looking to someone else to satisfy us where God wants to heal us and make us whole so that we're absolutely satisfied within first. And then from that healthy place, we can love someone else and not constantly go from limb to limb of rejection. We are complete in who we are in Jesus Christ. All right? These three loves are so essential to your well-being as an individual that by sabotaging even just one of these three loves, the enemy has the ability to cripple you for the rest of your life. We all know that to be true. Because whether we're 20, 30, 50, 60, 80 years old, we still struggle with certain issues that had its origin in our childhood. Jesus Christ has come to set us free. Galatians chapter 5 verse 1, it is for freedom that Christ has come to set you free. Yeah. Think of it from God's perspective. He created this wonderful universe filled with love. It was so pure, so holy, that he himself was able to walk in the cool of the day with his creation. No one knows like he knows the level of freedom that he had designed and destined for humans to enjoy. And so... It just smacks with revelation when you read Galatians chapter 5, verse 1. It is for freedom that Jesus Christ came to set us free. God is wanting to bring the restoration of all things. He's wanting to bring us back to what his intention, original intention was in the garden with Adam and Eve. I don't know about you, but that excites me. 
In the kingdom of darkness, things go from bad to worse. In the kingdom of God, every day is getting better. <laughs> Amen. <laughs> All right. These three loves are so essential to your well-being that by sabotaging even one of these three loves, the enemy will cripple you for the rest of your life. And so we looked at God's love for you. And we had a great time in that sermon, God's love for you and your response, your love back to God. Last week, we talked about the love of self, your love for yourself. You will either love yourself or reject yourself. There's no in-between. We think we, we want to, you know, I, I'm just going to be neutral. <laughs> Some people, I'm, I'm just going to be friends with everyone. I don't want conflict. Let me tell you something. You will either love yourself or you already have conflict. You will either love yourself or you will reject yourself. And uh, I don't have time, of course, to review last week, but now you've got them on your phone. You've got the notes. You can review that. This morning, I want to talk about the love of others, the love of others, how they love you or not, and how you love them or not, the love of others. Other people aren't always going to love you well because people are broken. And other people aren't always going to love you the way you need them to love you. That's why you, you can't get into a successful relationship with other people until you're in a successful relationship with yourself. And you can't get into a successful relationship with yourself until you're in a successful relationship with God. And it all starts with getting the revelation that God loves you as much as he loves himself. God doesn't cut himself. God doesn't reject himself. God doesn't trash talk himself. God loves himself and he loves himself so much that he doesn't get rattled by our lack of affection. And God wants to bring us to a place where once we know that he loves us as he loves himself and he loves us so completely, we start to get a little bit of self-respect. We start to get a little bit of self-love. When you don't love yourself, I said self-rejection will bring self-pity. And self-pity will ultimately always cause you to disrespect yourself. It might be the means by which you get the attention. It might be the means by which you get some sordid type of love and affection. But it is sickly. That is based on what is broken. It is a demonic counterfeit. And self-pity will never get you to a place of self-respect. It will take you to a place where you despise yourself. A lot of the things that I'm talking about and have been teaching over the last few weeks have a lot to do with the healing of your soul. It also has a lot to do with our mental health. And if you struggle with depression, I'm going to tell you right now that at the root of all depression is a, a perception of rejection. Whether it's a rejection from your father, your mother, or a rejection of yourself, or a belief that the cosmos, the world, or God, or whatever, and I'm speaking to people in the world as well as I say this, 
whatever you believe, but life is unfair to me. Life has rejected me. Life hasn't equipped me. I want to tell you the answer to life is God, and there is only one true God, and his name is Yahweh. And he will love you and love you and love you. In fact, I am convinced that God loves us so much, he doesn't send anybody to hell. We choose to go there. I'm going to say it again. I'm convinced God loves us so well that he doesn't send anybody to hell. We choose to go there. God so loved the world, he left his glory and put on a human outfit to save everybody. God doesn't send people to hell. People resist, they struggle, they fight the free love of God and choose to go in a way that God is constantly urging us not to go. But when we learn that God loves us completely and we start to completely love ourselves, then we're in a healthy position to be able to have a relationship with somebody else. If I'm looking to somebody to complete me, then the moment their love doesn't measure up to how I need to be loved, I will have a massive dose of rejection and it will trigger all of my depression and I will start to spiral. My father, I wanted to have a relationship with him. It, that might be the thoughts in your mind and something he does maybe gives the offense of rejection or gives the perception of rejection and your whole world will be turned upside down. You see, the person that God needs to heal most is the person of yourself. And that's why God says, love your neighbor as yourself because you will never be able to love your neighbor until you come to a place where you totally love yourself. Over the years, God has been healing me of so many things and I've come to a place where I like me. I like me. I actually watch uh, the videos now and I listen to myself preaching as much as sometimes I think, oh, that was an ugly face or that was a silly motion, you know, and don't cry on TV, Pastor Rob, you cry ugly. Uh, I sit there and I'm cheering myself on. In fact, the other day, and, and I say this only to talk about the healing, I sat in my living room watching the sermon, smiling. I find myself smiling and laughing, even though I know what he's going to say. <laughs> and I'm thinking to myself, I wish my dad were here. I know he would be proud. I've come to a place where I love myself and I respect myself. But because I love myself and I respect myself, I'm not going to let people disrespect me. I will love them as I love myself, but because I love myself, you can't disrespect me. Amen. It's a healthy place to be. It's a healthy place to be. So other people aren't always going to love you well. Luke chapter 17, this is an important passage. Jesus says in a nutshell what I've just said to you. In Luke chapter 17, and guys, just put verse one up, just verse one, okay? Uh, in verse one, Jesus said to his disciples, things that cause people to stumble are bound to come. 
but woe to anyone through whom they come. In the King James translation, that was the NIV, in the King or the New King James Version, this is what it says. He said to his disciples, it is impossible that no offenses should come. Listen, Jesus is being a realist. He says, right now, the time we are living in, Satan is still the God of this world. And my father prophesied in the garden when Adam and Eve caused this great fall to take place. And he prophesied and he said to Satan, you and your minions will bruise the heels of the seeds of Adam and Eve. But she has one seed who will come and he will crush your head. For now, Satan is still the God of this world, and Jesus is acknowledging this. When Jesus was taken into the wilderness and he was tempted by the devil, the devil said, uh, he took him up on a high mountain and said, see the kingdoms of the world. If you bow down and worship me, I'll give them all to you. Jesus did not turn around and say, liar, liar, pants on fire. Because he knows the prince of this world at the moment is Satan. He said, thou shalt love no one but the Lord your God. And he answered him with scripture. Jesus said, in this world, in this systemic problem of broken humanity and sin, it's impossible not to get offended. It's, a not, it's impossible not to have relationship that hurts you. It's impossible to not be disappointed. Jesus said it. Don't look at me and say, well, pastor, you're speaking negative things. Jesus said it. While Satan is Lord over the earth, it's impossible for offenses not to come. Now, you and I need to understand this and understand how to deal with the spirit of offense because when it comes to spiritual warfare, we are destined to be victorious. Hallelujah. God will show you the enemy's strategies so that you can blow the enemy out of the waters in Jesus' name. Now, the rest of the world might take offense, but you and I don't have to live in it. But you will come across people who will deliberately or unconsciously bring offense to you. And until you come to a place of wholeness in yourself, you will come across people you believe gave offense to you, and perceived rejection. Perceived offenses are as real to the individual as if they were given. So Jesus says, things that cause people to stumble, offenses, are bound to come, but woe to those through whom they come. You see, in the world that God created, He didn't create people to be perpetrators of wounds. Woe to those through whom they come. You know what Jesus is saying? He's saying relationship is really important. Don't mess them up. Don't be the person who brings offense. Don't be the person who brings wounds. That's why when, when Jesus was asked by the smart aleck pharisaical group, so what's the most important command? He says, love God with all your heart. He says, that's the first. The second, stop, put the brakes on. 
If you love God with all your heart, then what's crowding out the love of God? That you are not passionate for Him. That's the first command. He said, all the law and all the prophets hang on this. Love the Lord your God. Oh, that's Old Testament. You better believe it's Old Testament and it's a principle of life. What, are you going to eradicate love God with all your heart in the New Testament? Jesus became the fulfillment of the law and put the power to live beyond the law within us. I'm no longer bound by a sinful nature. I am redeemed and living in a righteous nature, and that is the nature of Jesus Christ. Can I get an amen? But he says the first command is to love God with all your heart. I'm going to tell you right now that if God isn't number one and if you're not as more passionate about God than you are about everything else, you need a check up from the neck up. Amen. Praise God. But look what he says. He says, woe to the person who brings offense. What's he saying? Relationship is a priority. Healthy relationships are a priority. Don't be a person who's constantly breaking other people's hearts, being rude, being offensive, being insensitive. Don't be one who brings offense. Now, we read this, and this is verse one, okay? And so, you know, the joke... <laughs> among preachers sometimes is, and, and we know it's true, is that when, when people hear sermons, sometimes we're always thinking of who that fits. I wish Brother So-and-so was here today. You know what? I'm going to just, in the love of the Lord, send them this message because they really need to hear this. So watch what Jesus does. Verse 1 says, it's impossible for offenses not to come. Woe to the person who's bringing damage to another fellow human being. Woe to the person. Let me tell you something. There's no room for any kind of prejudice. And color isn't the only kind of prejudice. There are a lot of different types of prejudice. Whether it's prejudice against a woman, prejudice against a man because you've been wounded by a man. Whether it's prejudice because he's not the right shade. I mean, this is so ridiculous. If white people have hurt you, it's time to get healed so that you can love white people the way you love yourself. And if a colored uh, black people, I don't know what the right political terms are, so don't get offended. And if you get offended, listen to this series from the beginning. Okay? I don't want to have to walk on eggshells. If you don't know by now I love you with all my heart, <laughs> then you don't understand. Thank you, Pastor Carlos. We need to get past our wounds and our prejudice. And, and, and so prejudice isn't just about color. Prejudice has no boundaries. And the Bible distinctly declares there's no room for any kind of prejudice. You cannot be commanded to love your neighbor as you love yourself and be commanded to love yourself and have prejudice against anybody. I don't care if it's because they're square, they're round, they're, they're oblong, or they're triangular, or they're white, they're brown, they're green, they're yellow. It doesn't matter. Because every one of us were created in the image of God, and when we can't love the other, we haven't loved God. 
Go on. So I, I, I was saying how, you know, we often will hear a sermon and we'll think, yes, yeah, so-and-so really needed, no, but no, I, I, I know, but so-and-so really did need to hear this. So watch what Jesus does. Verse 1, he says, it's impossible for offenses not to come. Church, if that's true, and Jesus said it so it is true, then the only person that can love you really well after God is you. And if you learn to love yourself really well, when other people aren't loving you really well, your world's not going to come to an end. Okay? This is a healthy place to be. But watch what he says. Woe to those who come. Why does he say that? Because relationships are a priority to God. Absolute priority. He wants everyone to live in peace and love each other and not hurt each other and not be puppets of the devil and we're still being puppets out of our past wounds and demons are pulling strings and manipulating handles on our lives. But watch what he says in verse 3. He says, Woe to those through whom they come. And then, then in verse 3 he says, So watch yourselves. Look at it. Verse 3 says, so watch yourselves. You know why? Because we bring offense too. We can sit here all day and talk about the offense that everyone else brought to us. But Jesus says, so watch yourself. Woe to those through whom it comes. So watch yourself. Wow. You know what? Jesus wasn't afraid to tell the truth. And he wasn't worried about whether or not they liked him or they didn't like him. He liked himself enough that he didn't have to be swayed by the crowd. His self-acceptance was not pinging on whether or not the masses accepted him. That's a healthy person. And yet he loved people to the point where he would die for them. But he said it's impossible for offenses not to come. Woe to those through whom they come. And we immediately think of the people who hurt us. And then he says, so watch out. Watch yourself. Because offenses will come through you. We give offense. We may not always intend to, but we give offense. Hang on. I know I, know I just uh, hit below the belt. So I'm going to encourage myself. Good preaching, Pastor Rob. Keep it up. You're doing good. I know you're thinking. How you love others and how others love you is an issue that will affect your spiritual life. How you love others, let's put that on the screen. How you love others and how others love you is an issue that will affect your spiritual life. It will affect your mental and emotional well-being, and it will affect your physical health. You are spirit, soul, and body. And unless we're living from the spirit, our soul is in anarchy, and whatever's going on in your soul will go on in your body. Trust me. We trust doctors, we trust surgeons, trust the one who created you. 
He knows that if things aren't well in your soul, in the realm of your thoughts, your memories, the judgments that you've come to in the middle of hurts, the conclusions you've come to about people and about life, the thoughts that you think in your emotions and how they connect with each other, it will affect your surroundings. Guard your heart for out of it is where the issues of life come from. The stuff you face in life are projected forward and you come face to face with them because they haven't been resolved in you. It may have started from a wound someone gave you years ago, but how that went down and the conclusions you came to and the judgments you came to and the unforgiveness you held on to and the bitterness and the emotions that get coupled with that will project the same issues in front of you and you will walk into them again and again and again. Salvation is not just about getting your name written in the book of life. Salvation in God's concept, God's concept of salvation is bringing everything full circle back to how it was before the fall. The church has minimized salvation to raise your hand to accept Jesus. Your name is in the book of life. Hallelujah, they're saved. And yes, that is the moment you are saved from eternal destiny in hell. But the process of salvation, me becoming whole, me being healed, me being set free, and ultimately the world being cleansed of the pollution of sin. The world is so concerned about the pollution of uh, chemical pollutants. God is concerned about that because he's going to restore the earth back to its beautiful green nature that it had. But he's, what pollutes the earth the most, the Bible says, that the earth is polluted by sin. The Bible says that. And God is saving the whole creation. And salvation is really about the restoration of all things. And the restoration of all things is what God calls salvation. Amen. That's why, you know, don't tell me healing isn't in the atonement. He atoned to bring the restoration of all things. God is the one who's constantly making things whole. He makes people whole. He makes relationships whole. And he will make the earth whole again. Amen. Can I get an agreement? How you love others and how others love you is an issue that will affect your spiritual walk. It will determine whether you're, you're succeeding or not succeeding. You can't have a successful walk without successfully walking well with the person who's always offending you. Your spiritual walk with God isn't just your relationship with God. It's your relationship with God and how you do in life. I know I'm messing with you. Look at this next screen. But when you consider that Jesus said it's impossible for offenses not to come, it becomes even more essential that we divert serious attention to the issue of how we handle relationships because of the inevitable potential they carry to be a source of conflict and offense. 
Hollywood has conditioned us to believe in the perfect love, the, the, that you're going to find your one true love, your lobster. You know, years ago in Australia, I loved deep sea fishing, and so uh, one of my brothers had come back to Australia, and we had a big family reunion, so we went on a, an aluminum uh, cat, and uh, we went way out to sea. I, I, it was phenomenal. And the guy had a license, uh, he, had a, he had several fleets, and he had licenses to catch lobsters. And so on the way out, before we went fishing, deep sea fishing, he was pulling up some lobster traps. And he was telling us that uh, if there's a male and female lobster in the trap, the male lobster will always be dead. Because the male lobster gives up his life so that a predator will feed on it to spare the female. Yeah. Amazing, hey. I think that will preach. Some preachers should use that sometime. Oh, that's right, I'm using it. <clears throat> but when you consider that Jesus said it's impossible for offenses not to come, it becomes even more essential that we divert serious attention to the issue of how we handle relationships. Because relationships have the inevitable potential to be the source of conflict and offense. Look, if you want to become an expert in your relationship with God, you must. I don't care how long you've been in church. I don't care if no preacher's ever told you this. I'll be bold enough to say if they've never told you this, they're all wrong. If you want to have a... a if you want to be excelling in your relationship with God, you need to learn how to excel in relationships, period. And the first relationship after your relationship with God is your relationship with yourself. You cannot go on living hating yourself. You cannot go on living trash-talking yourself. You cannot go on living despising yourself rejecting yourself. You are having fellowship and communion with a demon. I can't make it more blunt than that. Every time you trash talk yourself, every time you hate yourself, every time you look in the mirror and despise what you see, you are breaking bread, not with the Christ who is your redeemer. You are breaking bread with a demon who is your master of torture. When we disrespect ourselves, when we uh, self-reject ourselves, we are rejecting the image of God. So if you want to excel in a relationship with God, you have to excel in a relationship with yourself, and you have to excel in a relationship with other people as well. And so it is important that here in the church we get into the messy business of talking about relationships. And a lot of preachers don't want to do that because we have second marriages and third marriages. And I'm not here to condemn anybody. Hey, I understand. Look at me. I understand. We live in a world of hurt. But how do we navigate 
We've got to navigate and we've got to heal and we've got to move on and we've got to learn from what has been a trauma in the past. Can I get an amen? Yeah, give the Lord a hand. Come on, give the Lord a hand. And so, you know, preachers don't like to touch on these things. Oh, well, people are going to feel offended. Well, start by preaching on the spirit of offense and then go into deep water. Oh, well, the church won't grow. I am more concerned about you growing. Having the numbers will tickle my ego, but it won't get you sorted out for life. I look at Jesus. He just preached truth. They didn't always like it. He preached some stuff, and his own disciples said, hey, Jesus, I don't want to make this about money, but if you keep preaching like this here, uh, you won't have any more followers. It didn't bother him. Truth is a premium, and truth will set you free. Not what you like to hear. Truth will set you free. And I've come to love truth more than I love my own popularity. Amen. Absolutely. Truth. All right. Broken people break people. And because of the fall, we were all broken. And so Jesus is talking to us also. So watch yourselves. At times we bring offense. In 1 John chapter 4, verse 20 to 21 John says this, whoever claims to love God yet hates his brother or sister is a liar. That's harsh. It sounds harsh. If we want to live in a cocoon of political correctness, we want everything to be so politically correct because we're so damaged we can't afford to have another little fracture. When you get whole on the inside, it makes you tough without being hard. It makes you resistant tough. Not cold tough. Not indifferent tough. It makes you resistance tough. You know what that is? A healthy immune system. When your immune system is healthy, you are resistant. This is good preaching. Whoever claims to love God yet hates a brother or a sister is a liar. Well, you don't know what they did to me. No, but I know what people did to me. And somehow, we've got to crawl up into the heart of God, get healed, and love ourselves enough that we're not going to hate that person. Whoever claims to love God yet hates a brother or sister is a liar. For whoever does not love their brother and sister whom they have seen cannot love God whom they have not seen. And he has given us this command. Anyone who loves God must also love his brother or his sister. What a perfect cycle. Thou shalt love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and love your neighbor 
as you love yourself. And then he says, if you don't love your neighbor, you don't love God. You cannot have a successful relationship with God until you have a successful relationship with yourself. And you, when you have a successful relationship with yourself and with the Father, you'll be able to have more successful relationships with people around you. The good, the bad, and the ugly. <laughs> because life does get ugly, doesn't it? It can. In Matthew 18, 21, then Peter came to Jesus and said, Lord, give me a break. So how many times do I have to forgive my brother or my sister when they sin against me? Once, twice, five times, seven. Come on, that's the perfect number. Do you know the word sin? When G Peter asked this question, the word sin, you know what it is in the Greek? Scandalon, offense. How many times do I have to forgive that person when they bring offense to me? Let's demystify scriptures. Let's call sin what the Bible's calling sin, offense. How many times do I have to forgive someone when they bring offense to me? I remember uh, just this week, some of my cousins contacted me and told me that they've been watching this series. I didn't know family were watching, so now I've got to be careful the stories I tell. <laughs> In fact, they asked if they could be included on the weekly text that gives them the highlights of the sermon as well as the sermon. It's available for anybody. If you have friends, uh, I believe that you see Pastor Carlos, and there's a way you could get your family on this, and every week they'll get the highlights, the worship, the sermon notes, et cetera, et cetera. But anyway, uh, Peter, you know, when I think of this story, Peter says, how many times do I have to forgive my brother? I remember when I was a little kid in school, I went, I was born in Queens in Flushing Meadows Hospital. I went to PS32, and, uh, you know, I was this skinny little kid little weakling, and I had a lot of fears. I had a lot of inferiorities. I remember the first day of kindergarten, my cousin Carol, she lived, we, her, her parents uh, lived on one side of the apartment building. It was three stories, I think, three or four stories. We lived on the other side, and Carol Jean's all excited about being in school, first day in school, and here I am. I'm just crying my eyes out. I was full of fear, full of inferiority. I had so many issues. Okay, and uh, <clears throat> the, the, the minute the first mother came to pick up her kid, I'd start crying, what happened to my mother? Why isn't she here? You know, you look at a kid like that and you laugh, but it was my torture, and there were broken things in me, even at such a young age. And so I didn't tend to make a lot of friends early in school, uh, in fact, I have no memory of having any male friends in uh, kindergarten, first grade, and second grade. I have no memory of any male friends. There were a couple of girls I liked. I mean, that part was fully functioning, you know. Uh, I remember having, I, I liked this one girl because she was really good at coloring in. But I remember kids used to bully me a lot. And it didn't help that I had a, a spaghetti name, Scarallo, and so I'd get bullied a lot. In fact, I really lived with that all my life. When I went to Australia, I was the 
odd man out. You know, I had this American accent. And uh, I remember the very first day we were walking to school and we were going to go meet with the principal in Australia. They call it the headmaster. And we were dressed in normal American school, uh, American clothes. All the kids in school had gray shorts with a great, uh, uh, in Australia we'd call it a jumper, a sweater with the school colors, you know, and everyone's running around in their school uniform. This was not a private school. This was a public school. Okay, and we're, we're just walking to school and they recognize from our clothes because our clothes were so loud in comparison. And so we hadn't even registered in the school yet and kids from the schoolyard were calling us Yankees. And, uh, you know, always lived with some kind of bullying or, you know, being teased or whatever. So here I was in PS32 and uh, this group of boys kept harassing me. And so I went home one time and I said to mom, I was telling her how these boys keep picking on me. And uh, she says, well, you, you know, you have to tell them to stop. I says, well, can I hit them? She says, no, you tell them to stop. But what if I tell them to stop and they don't stop? She says, well, then you tell them again. And I said, well, what if after that they don't stop? She says, you tell them again. I said, well, after three times, if they don't stop, can I hit them? <laughs> How many times do I have to forgive them, G uh, Peter said. Uh, I'm saved by grace now. So I'll tell you the rest of the story. So I remember going back to school the next day. And in my head, I'm ready to count up to three. <laughs> I was going to let my fury out. All my inferiority and all of my hurts were going to come out with one swing. And so this group of boys were taunting me, and I says, you better stop. And they just kept taunting me. I says, you better stop. They kept taunting me. You better stop. And they didn't stop. So I said, I'll meet you after school. So after school, we get in the schoolyard, and it was cold. I had my parker on, and I had my hands inside my, my sleeves because it was cold. And you know how two kids, they want, they're going to fight, right? Well, you start it. No, you start it. I mean, this is such an important issue that we're going to come to blows for that we have to fight over who's going to fight first. You start. No, you start. No, you start. No, you start. So after a while, I thought, you know, mom said three times. I gave him three times. So I just bang and uh, hit him in his gut. He went flying to the ground and all the kids started saying, he's got a pipe in his sleeve. He's got a pipe in his sleeve. And the next day I was hauled in front of the teacher because she was on the third floor watching us rumble in the courtyard of the school. But it's amazing. My confidence started to rise. <laughs> Peter said, how many times do I have to forgive my brother? Seven times? Jesus answered, I tell you, not seven times, but 70 times seven. You know what he's saying? In this world, until Jesus Christ comes and rules, you're going to live in a world of conflict, and you've got to become an expert at handling conflict. Otherwise, conflict will handle you. And when conflict handles you, it's ugly, it'll make you ugly. If you don't learn how to con handle conflict, conflict will handle you, and it'll make you an ugly person. Praise God. 
In Matthew 18, verse 23 to 35, there's the parable of the unmerciful servant. And in the NIV, this is how the parable reads, that there was a man who owed his master 10,000 bags of gold. 10,000 bags of gold. And the master's going to throw him into jail with his wife and his kids until the debt can be paid off. Slave labor. And he begs and he begs and says, have mercy on me, please. I'll pay it all back. I'll make it right. Now, the man says, I'll pay it all back. And because he took accountability, because he recognized his debt, even though he was willing to pay it back and he's repenting and he's pleading, the master cancels the debt. He didn't say, okay, I forgive you, but make sure you pay it back. He cancels the debt. That's what God did with you and me. But that only happens when we take accountability. And we realize we have a part to play. And when we realize that, God says, I'll I'll take care of the end bit. I'm canceling your debt. But I'm glad you grew up, you took accountability, and you stopped blaming everybody else, and you're facing the music. This man goes out in the streets and he comes across another man who, according to the latest translation of the NIV, said this man just owed him a hundred silver coins. So you got 10,000 bags of gold and you got a hundred silver coins. And he goes up to this man. Now remember, his debt is canceled. I remember reading this in the past and thinking, well, you know, he's got the pressure. He's got to pay this money back, so now he's not going to be merciful. No, the story actually says his debt is canceled. Your debt is canceled. My debt is canceled. And when we want to re-enact uh, revenge against someone else, we are wanting them to pay for what has already been canceled in our lives. And he takes this man by the throat and the man says, "Uh, uh, please be merciful, give me time, give me time. And he says, no, you owe me a hundred silver coins, I'm throwing you in jail. And he had him thrown in jail. And when other uh, servants heard this, they went back to the original master and they told him. And so the master called this man before himself. And he says, I canceled your debt. You had a bigger debt. I canceled your debt. I didn't just give you more time. I forgave it. And you couldn't forgive this man? You couldn't give him more time? You couldn't give him any grace? You couldn't give him any mercy? And Jesus, God, who made this parallel, a parable, parables are always parallels of heaven. Hello? Parables are parallels of heaven. And the master says, hand them over to the torturers. Now this is a very significant point. Why is it significant? Because your spiritual walk, your mental well-being, your emotional well-being will hinge on how you do relationships. You see, when we can't forgive the people who have wounded us, when we can't forgive the people who have abused us, 
We have given the enemy the right to live in the wound. <laughs> yeah, would you, uh, would you put this next screen up? Forgiving is more about you than it is about them. God doesn't need you to forgive them so that he could forgive them. God doesn't need you to forgive them so that their sins are remitted and now they can go to heaven. If they repent to God, God will forgive them. God needs you to forgive them because he understands spiritual principles. If you don't forgive them, the wound is still in you, the wound is still open, and you are going to be subject to tormentors. You will be reap consequences. So I wrote here, forgiving is more about you than about them. When we don't forgive someone for what they did to us, one of two things will be set in motion. One of two things will be set in motion. The first, let's go to number one, guys. The offense you won't forgive, and I said won't because it is a choice. I can't forgive them. Won't forgive them. You know what helps me to forgive? I think of the master in the parable. And I think God is so perfect. You know, the more together a person has themselves, the less tolerant they are of people who aren't so together. And here's God who's totally perfect. And here's us, broken, fractured. And yet he's absolutely tolerant and considerate and loving of us. And God forgives me of my sin. Who am I not to show mercy? My sins to God are far more offensive than someone's sins to me. I have offended the creator of the universe. I have offended the only one who has never given offense. When people offend me, they've offended a person who has also given offense. When I offend God, I offend the one who has never given offense. He's only given perfect love. So my offense to God is far greater than the offense anyone can give to me. In a sense, I've earned it in that what you sow, you will reap. The offense you won't forgive someone else of is the offense you give permission to hang around you. What you forgive can't live in you. And you won't live in it. So many of us are still living in the wounds from yesterday. We're still living in the, in the fact that you know, my father or my mother or my uncle or the man next door or somebody molested me as a child. Church, we've got to come to a place where we get into the heart and the face of God and we seek that healing so that we become whole. Because the grudge that we now hold against any male figure or white figure or black figure or any woman who's in authority or wherever the offense originally came for, if we don't forgive the original source, we will be subject to a wound that will never close and it will always be the hiding place of a tormenting spirit. 
The offense you won't forgive someone else of is the offense you give permission to hang around you. What you forgive can't live in you and what you, and, and you won't live in it. The second thing that will happen if you don't forgive, and I said one of two things will happen. It could go one of two ways. The people who have injured you and you come to hate them, the, the second thing that can happen, and by the way, when I mentioned the first thing that can happen, I said the wound will never heal and the tormentor will always be there. You know what the tormentor will do? He will set up the same scenario again and again and again so that the original wound, the emotional scar, the bruise just keeps getting hit again and again and again. You get a black and blue. How many of you ever noticed that when you bruise your arm or your leg, you just happen to keep hitting the same spot? And the more you hit it, the bruise will never go away. Demons are not utterly stupid. They're very foolish, but they understand strategies. And so because they live in the wound and they live in the judgments and the, the thought patterns and the belief systems and the emotion of that wound, they keep hitting that wound again so that it stays fresh, so that they stay nice and protected inside the wound. And the only way to extricate them is to start by climbing into the heart and the lap of God and come to a place of healing so that you can forgive the perpetrators who've hurt you so that the wound will close and the strong man can't stay in the wound anymore. Because while he lives in that wound, he will set you up. For, it might be a different scenario, different people, a different day, a different year. But the same principle will repeat itself over and over and over again. If you don't forgive, that's one of the first, that's the first scenario that can take place. The second is this. What you won't forgive in another person you become. That mother who was cruel and vicious to you and you just hate her because of what she did, be careful. You're turning into her. I've been around long enough and I've done enough counseling. I haven't studied psychology. I've studied the word of God. That's better than studying psychology. And what you hate in someone else you will become. What you can't forgive, you might become. I'm going to say something that is not politically acceptable in the outside world. And they might take this message off of Facebook. I don't care. You need to hear the truth. I'll give you a perfect example. A young girl can be molested in a very hateful way and abused and treated like absolute trash and any kind of abuse is a hateful way. But everyone will respond differently. Has it ever crossed your understanding that in a same-sex relationship, one of those partners becomes the butch and takes on the very image of the type of perpetrator they hate?
I led a prominent uh, gay man to the Lord in Australia. He, he had his own club, a very high-end club. After he got saved, he had me dedicate his yacht. They launched the yacht, and they broke a bottle of champagne on it, and, and they asked me to pray over the yacht. And he would tell me how <laughs> in his club, the women's restrooms had graffiti, broken doors, broken hinges, and were trashed, and the men's restrooms were always very clean and uh, taken care of. What we hate, what has abused us, and what we can't forgive, we will become. That's one of the options. Forgiveness is about you, not about the other person. I watch Christians sometimes become mightier than you. You know, they get self-righteous. And I see them come up to people. I've watched this over and over again. I just shake my head. And I see people confront someone who, in their estimation, has hurt them. Now remember, it could be a perceived offense. Still real. And I watch them say, well, you've, you've wounded me in the, fast, but in the past, but I forgive you. Let me tell you something. That's not forgiveness. Because number one, you don't need to throw it in their face and slap them in the back of the head at the same time. That's revenge. And you can act holier than thou as much as you want and think you're, you're being Christ-like. That's not Christ-like. That's a self-justification that stinks to high heaven. The Bible talks about really striving to make relationships work. And separation, when absolutely you've done everything you can and you've, you've gone to the person and you've tried and you've tried and you've tried and you've brought counselors from within the church, we should fight for relationships the way we fight about politics. I think that deserves a better clap, actually. We like to talk about our Christianity. God wants us to live it. Amen. Praise God. There are three angles of life. Life is about loving three people excellently. Loving God, loving yourself, and loving others. These are the three angles of life from which the enemy will try to wound you. These are the three angles of life you have to get right. Jesus is coming back. But he's coming back for a bride that's been cleaned up. I believe, you know, since I've started this series, I'm hearing from people in the church that other great, let me rephrase that. Yeah, I'm great. Yeah, other great men of God <laughs> are preaching the same thing. And I can promise you, we don't have a roundtable conversation. And if anyone copied anyone, they copy me. <laughs> I'm kidding. Sometimes I joke, you know, since they're the big name ministries, they got the money, they have these researchers who go online and review guys, little guys like me and hear the sermons and bring it back and then they preach them. It's a joke. It's a joke. But anyway, 
It's the Spirit of God speaking the same thing to the church. That's what it is. It's the Spirit of God. And numerous preachers have come out preaching this very message just in the last few weeks. Why? God is preparing his church for a great move of his Holy Spirit. And so you got God loves himself. He loves you like he loves himself. Straight up and down. And then we learn to love God. And then we love ourselves completely. And then we start to learn to love others. So you got this relationship going up and down. And when this gets perfected, as it's being perfected, we start to perfect this. That's a triangle, the triangle of life, the triangle of relationships. The whole law and all the prophets hang on this. Love God passionately, love yourself passionately so you can love other people passionately. The triangle of life, the triangle of relationships. Watch this. Everyone, look at me for a minute. I'm going to conclude with this. This is really cool. God gave this to me in one of the Saturday morning prayer meetings. It doesn't matter what your triangle looks like, whether it's an a, uh, equal angle triangle or isosceles triangle. When I was a kid, I thought it was a sausage triangle. An isosceles, always thinking about food, I'm Italian. An isosceles triangle, it doesn't matter what it is. While the angle of each angle can vary in degree, their sum total will always be 180. And even through geometry and mathematics, God is saying, when you get this right, all the law and the prophets hang on this, the triangle of relationships. When you get this right, the sum total of each angle is 180 degrees, and 180 degrees is always the straight path. We walk the straight path of righteousness when we're in right relationship with God, right relationship with self, and right relationship with others. Isaiah chapter 35, verse 8, 9, and 10 says, and there will be a highway there. It will be called the highway of holiness. That's verse 8. The highway of holiness. The highway of people living free from sin. If I love God passionately with all my heart, I don't sin against him. If I love me passionately, I don't sin against him. And I don't sin against me. And when I love you and you and you and you and you guys passionately and I'm always looking not to hurt you and do the right thing by you I don't know your name but if you and I were to go into business it would it has to become my goal to not shortchange you or cheat you in any way shape or form I've got to honor you in this business agreement this partnership just like I would honor myself and when we live like that we are walking the highway of holiness verse 8 and a highway will be there, and it will be called the way of holiness. Do you know that the early Christians, before they were ever called Christians, were called in the book of Acts, the people of the way, capital W. 
And when you read it in Isaiah 35, it says, The highway of holiness, the way of the Lord. It's capital W. It's the lifestyle of righteousness. Verse 8, verse 9 says, No wicked beast or ferocious animal will be on that path. You know what that means? The door is shut to demonic activity. That's verse 9. You know what verse 10 says? Therefore the redeemed of the Lord will return with everlasting joy. You know what you got? Verse 8 is righteousness. Verse 9 is peace. In the absence of your enemy, you have peace. And verse 10 is joy. And when the Apostle Paul said the kingdom of God is righteousness, peace, and joy, he didn't just happen to string three idyllic religious terms together to make a cute little phrase. He was identifying a divine progression. There are principles all through the Word of God. If you want to experience more of the kingdom of God in your life, then understand life is about three Angles of relationship. Come on, let's stand. Praise God. I'm going to ask uh, all my pastors, if they can, come on out the front. We're going to have a time of ministry for those who would like ministry. For those of you who need to leave, that's, that's fine. I understand. If we could just have a little bit of soft music. First thing is your relationship with God. Friend, you got to know he loves you. And you got to accept that love. God so loves you that he gave everything. And so I'm going to ask everyone to close their eyes. Online, I'm talking to you at home. If you haven't made your peace with God, it's time to say yes to the one who understands you and loves you completely. God so loves you, he became one of us. And he took the rap for you and me. Amen. So that we could be set free. Right now, this morning, if you would like to accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, I want you, while everyone's eyes are closed, raise your hand. If you haven't done that, if you need to make a fresh commitment, would you raise your hand right now at home? Whether you're there with 10 people or you're there on your own, raise your hand. God loves you. And other people may have abused you and messed you up. But if you will let God love you, if you will accept his love, he'll start to straighten you out. He'll fix you up. He'll heal you. He'll set you free. He really will. He loves you. Jesus said, I haven't come to condemn the world. I've come to save the world. Do you know why he said that? In that same chapter, Isaiah 35, the prophet says, your God will come. He will come on a day of vengeance and judgment, but he will also come to save you. When Jesus came riding into Jerusalem on the donkey and they're shouting, Hosanna, Hosanna, he said, if only you had recognized the coming of your God. You see, he's coming twice. 
He's going to come to judge, to bring vengeance. That's called the day of the Lord. But he comes first to save us. And Jesus said, I haven't come to condemn the world because his first coming was about loving the broken and restoring people's lives. But you must accept that love. It's the beginning of loving yourself. Love yourself enough, even if it's only a tiny bit, to accept the love of God. I want you to pray with me. Those of you that have raised your hands, pray with me. Everyone in this room, pray with me right now. Dear God, I know you love me. And I receive Jesus as my Lord. I believe you came to earth and died for me. You love me. And because you love me, I love you. Come into my heart. I'm full of wounds, full of sin. I've hurt people. Forgive me. Work in me. I accept you, Jesus Christ. And I'm sorry for all my mistakes. Holy Spirit, Fill me with all of God. I receive you, Father. In Jesus' name, amen. As I've been preaching, if you feel like God is still doing a healing work in you, Pastor Tom, Pastor Jan, and other pastors will be out the front so that you can receive ministry. Look, life can be really horrible. Relationships in life can be devastating. I get it. I've lived it. God wants us to allow him in the cracks of our lives so he can put us back together again. He loves us. He loves you. He loves you. And when we let God get into the cracks... He starts to soften the hard edges. And when the edges start to soften, they can come together and get healed. Amen. Amen. I encourage you. I understand there can be some really deep wounds. If you need to, come to the altar and cry it out. Let the Spirit of God minister to you. Because you will never fully love yourself until you love yourself enough to forgive that person who's wounded you. And when you do, you will experience freedom. Freedom. Forgiving someone isn't justifying what they did. Forgiving someone isn't saying, what you did to me is okay. No, 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 no. Forgiving someone is saying, I understand you're as broken as I'm broken. And God forgives me, and I forgive you. It never condones the atrocity that was perpetrated. So forgiveness is not trying to make it all okay. 
Forgiveness is recognizing I am forgiven and I'm going to forgive. We're all broken. And when we do that, God can really start to heal the wounds. Amen. We live in a world where the person you choose to live with for the rest of your life has the power to purposely or inadvertently hurt you every day. And so life is very delicate. That's why Jesus, he speaks a little bit sternly and says, Woe to the one through whom offenses come. And while we're doing this, he says, So watch yourself. Because we also bring offenses. Let's learn to love, to be gracious, to be quick to forgive, to reconcile, to heal. Demons know how to hurt. Sons of God know how to heal. Amen. Amen. And Father, as we close, some will come to the front. I know you're going to minister to them. And as people leave, I thank you, Father, that you, by your Spirit, are working in their lives. Be with them. And minister to them all week long and continue to bring to their remembrance the things that need to surface so that the enemy won't have any place to hide in any of us. I thank you, God, for perfect love. It comes from you. And we receive it in Jesus' name. Amen. Next week is a very important sermon, very important. I'm going to teach you the language of love, something very unique. It will help you to master the spirit of offense by mastering the art of loving. Amen. So I look forward to seeing you next week. Don't forget Saturday, we're going to celebrate Sandy's life. We're going to dance with her. And rejoice with her. God bless you. If you need prayer, come on down the front. God bless. Amen. Thank you, Jesus.